Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another summer edition of The Deciding Point, a podcast where we break down the countless results from the many players currently competing out on the pro tour with college tennis ties. Of course, we also try to keep all of you listeners up to date on the latest news from the college tennis world. And finally, the final final domino of this year's coaching carousel has fallen. Michigan hires a new men's tennis coach. We also have some additional facility news to break on today's podcast. And joining me to do all of that, as he always does, is a man you all know best as a founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast. Our college tennis beat reporter now here at Crack Rackets, of course, returning champion of returning champions, but perhaps most importantly, he's the birthday man on today's show. So let's get a happy birthday sound effect. Happy birthday! And welcome in our dearest friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Happy birthday. I suppose my gift to you is asking you to do another podcast. Can't imagine it going any other way. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. It always feels good to turn 25 every year for the rest of eternity. So, yeah, I'm feeling good, feeling young. Yeah, do you want to just be on my age curve? I'm turning 28 this year. That work for you? (laughs) I'll take 28. Yeah, okay. You you don't look a day over 25. I'd believe it for what it's worth, except for you're too smart to be 25, truth be told. So, again, it's the maturity. It's the wisdom, which is why we always enjoy having you on this show. And my birthday – here's my birthday gift to you. I'm going to keep us under 45 minutes tonight, Jay. I'm going to be efficient with how we move throughout the course of this show. And with that said, let's get right into it. The final domino in the coaching carousel. What was, as we discussed last week, perhaps the lengthiest coaching carousel we have had in quite some time. And it's funny because Chris Eaton just left Wake Forest and it's like, yeah, but we don't have time for that news right now. Okay. We got to, we got to focus on the big domino. And of course that final big domino was the Michigan men's tennis head coaching position. Adam Steinberg, of course, leaving for Florida about a month ago. It was a lengthy search. There were plenty of candidates in the end, it's a familiar face returning to Michigan as for, now former, I should say, Nebraska men's tennis head coach Sean Mamie, who served under two different head coaches in assistant stints at Michigan in the past. He's coming home to Ann Arbor, hired as the next Michigan men's tennis head coach. I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who want to hear my thoughts, and we'll get to them. But Jay, As we were texting prior to today's podcast, you said this was the segment you were most prepared for, so I tee things up to you. Sean Mamie, the next Michigan men's tennis head coach, your thoughts on how it all played out. Well, I really thought you would start with some Sean Mamie anecdote from your time as an (laughs) undergrad at Michigan and how that has all led to where we are today. I mean, that's typically how these sort of things go. But look, I am happy to start without the anecdote lead-in. This is an interesting, this is a very safe hire for Michigan. And I'll caveat everything as part of our discussion and say he could knock it out of the park. This is no indication for what he can be capable of doing at Michigan. It just screams to me as a very different hiring profile than what they were looking for with Adam Steinberg. And I'm not the Michigan insider on this podcast But the Michigan AD has changed hands since the hiring of Adam Steinberg for who was hiring Coach Mamie now. This reads to me as a different hiring uh, profile. And it reads to me as something that is prioritizing someone who is extremely familiar with the Michigan program. And in some ways, a steady hand to come in at a time that is absolutely needed. Not only are we in a really pivotal time in the actual calendar of the college tennis season when coaches are securing commitments, trying to win back commitments, win commitments from rising juniors and seniors. This feels like something, hey, it's going to be really hard for him to mess this up. On the flip side, 
when you bring in someone like Adam Steinberg, whose Michigan familiarity is much lower, he has a championship winning pedigree. He won an NCAA championship with a non-Power 5 school in Pepperdine. And that at the time of hire in 2014 screamed, we take tennis seriously and we want to win a national championship. This Mamie hire feels to me of we're okay if we don't win a national championship. Now it would be great if we did. Of course, we're Michigan. But they didn't go very big. Um, and that would be my concern. If I was a Michigan fan, I would be a, a little underwhelmed with this hire and would have hoped that Michigan would have gone bigger and bolder, particularly since we're on the heels of two consecutive NCAA quarterfinals. I understand the reasoning behind that point. Here's where I disagree with it. I don't know that that candidate existed in this part of the coaching carousel. Unless you were willing to spend north of $300,000, $350,000. And that's a different sort of conversation because that is an investment that says we're a tennis school now. We're going to pay our head coach more than anyone else. And there's to why I said I understand your reasoning is Michigan didn't do that. I think that's what it would have taken to dislodge. And I'm just going to throw this name. You know, again, a Tony Bresky, who's a national champion, the way Steinberg was a... I don't know. Who I again, we went through the list of national champions. Bruce isn't leaving Texas for Michigan as great of a narrative as that might have been for us to enjoy. You know, a lot of the other national champions have aged out or are now coaching their sons out on the pro tour and or have won two in a row and ain't leaving anytime soon. And so look, I don't know that that candidate exists. I know there were other candidates who came very close in the cycle. I am sure there were candidates who said, hey, I'm interested in Michigan to my school. Are you willing to match or give me a little raise out of it? I'm sure that happened as part of this cycle. But I also can't emphasize this enough. And you you gave me the anecdote right away. So I'll build on your example. I mean, Sean knows Michigan. I was a sophomore, really a junior, if I'm being honest, sitting. And I think it was that third year of attending matches where Sean's kind of like, all right, I know your face. Who are you? Why do you keep coming? You're obviously a student here. What's your connection to Michigan tennis? You know, through that, we get the varsity team to participate in our practices. That sets the foundation for my love of the sport that transcends to this day. Um, So yes, I think, you know, again, given the absence of that knockout, no doubt, this national champion exists. We're not dropping the bag. I don't know that there are many better candidates than Sean who, with the, to your point about a status quo hire, I don't think that's a bad thing in this case because the status quo is back-to-back quarterfinals. You want a guy who can come in, who knows how this ship is run, and can continue to run it as it has been. A guy who knows the community, a guy who knows and is very well adored by the alumni base, a guy who can work with Ronnie seamlessly, you know, a guy who can hit the ground running and take the baton from Adam and just keep Michigan rolling. Now, again, you got to recruit. You got to bring in players. And obviously, you lose Styler, Maloney, Fenty. That'll be challenge number one for Sean and whomever he brings in as his assistant. But I do think this is the right hire because you don't need to fundamentally change where Michigan men's tennis is. You know, again, this is a program that has made back to back quarterfinals. And Sean knows how to sell this program. Uh, that's why I think, I mean, Look, I was if anyone thinks I was going to come on this show and say Michigan made a terrible hire, that was never going to be the case. That's just not who I am. I'm a glass half full sort of guy. It's fully full with Sean Mamie taking over the reins at Michigan. This is a guy I believe in. This is a guy who has the passion to, again, and I'm not trying to disrespect Nebraska tennis, but I don't know how else this is going to come off. Like, it's one thing to recruit Nebraska. It's another to recruit Michigan. And I just think Sean knows how to recruit Michigan and knows how to sell that culture at this school to the right kids to keep the, th- the ball rolling. And so that's why I'm a big believer in Sean, because the same way he sold himself to Michigan, he's going to sell Michigan to all those recruits. And I- I'm excited to see where Sean goes. 
Final words to you. <laughs> well, look, I'm certainly not going to let this be a, you know, you're on the pro Mamie train and I'm on the anti Mamie yeah. train. I wish him absolutely the best of luck. Uh, I am just commenting as a outsider here to Michigan. We can't get cameras on the outdoor courts and we're not even striking for a home run higher. You know, I'm not saying he's not ultimately the best candidate. You could bring in, let's say, hypothetical you could bring in a tony bresky for an interview and be like this guy not the right fit for michigan or we he was not even going to walk in the door and maybe is the best option the names that michigan was going after they weren't the biggest in college tennis and if i was a michigan fan with we were on the up and up and we just ran into a massive iceberg as the titanic all of our top guys are leaving our head coach is leaving our assistant left you know but isn't that why sean's the perfect not to cut you off but isn't that why but to cut you off uh isn't that why sean's the perfect candidate because he's the one who comes in and looks at the alumni and looks at the community and says no no we're still Michigan tennis, and I know what this means to all of you. And that's why in this moment, we're again, I don't know where that short of, again, the if, you're, if your point is Michigan fans should be angry that Michigan didn't say, hey, we're Michigan. We're going to make our head coach the highest paid head coach in all of college tennis. I have no response. Like, that's fair. That's a fair, because that's what it would have taken, in my opinion, to get one of those knockout. You would have had to say, no, no, no. We're going to see what your salary is and at least 25% higher. Like, and I just don't think Michigan was ever going to do that. Yeah, and that's fair. And right, and I might be proposing a straw man argument where it's like yeah. those candidates weren't on the board. And that, that's, and that, that's that, my that point. Is, that is where it is. Uh, and then if that's the case, right, that makes sense. Look, I mean, ultimately, this isn't a candidate that energizes the non-Michigan fans. But if it energizes the Michigan fans, then that's exciting for them. Yeah, and again – he knows both threads of the program of late. He was part of, you know, he was an assistant under Bruce. He was an assistant under Adam. I think that connection to the alumni base is what generates the excitement. And when the alumni say, yo, Sean, like, it's not acceptable for us to not be able to watch outdoor matches, he hears it and says, no, 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 I under, not that Adam didn't, not that Ronnie doesn't, but it's just like, it's that connection. It's that thread to the community, to the alumni, to all of it. I'm excited for the future. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll say it because sometimes you got to remove the filter. It's a summer edition. Good for the program that Sean was hired. I can say that much. Like, I was a little worried because I knew Maloney. I knew Fenty for a very long time. I love Bickerseth, but it's like it's a little harder for a 28-year-old to relate to an 18-year-old. Now, you know, again, I've known Sean since I was that 18-year-old. And so good for the program. Oh, by program, you mean you. I mean, I meant like the Great Shot podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah not the not the mission. I was program. like, yeah. yeah, they're hiring a coach. It should be good for the program. Yes, Got that it. is. You that's also very good because okay. it's July thirty first. It's time to you know again yeah. European Championships, Junior Wimbledon, goose egg in terms of coaches available. Um, no, I meant good for the Great Shot podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the programs, Jay. This is the only one that matters at this point. I don't root for schools anymore. That was just my perspective as a Michigan alum. Um, yeah, look, uh, who he brings is the other part, and it's just a fun conversation. What if he brings Cobalt? Like, hmm, that'll be fun. Look, I'll say this. We have had Buckeyes as assistants before. Jeremy Wurtzman was a Michigan assistant for a year. Like, it's not never happened. Yeah, well, if I'm Cobalt, I'm saying, let me give me the Nebraska head coaching job. You know, the resume might be, you know, as as thin as my body, but um, yeah. But doesn't that job just scream Ross Wilson? There are a lot of candidates uh, (laughs) that I think um, could be a good fit. Um, Yeah, I who I don't you know whoever Michigan hires, they hire. No, 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 sorry. I'm saying Nebraska men's head coach. That screams Ross Wilson. Oh, for, no, yeah, yeah, no, I know that. But I'm saying you were talking about Cobalt for the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. assistant. And, I mean, yeah, look. Whoever. <laughs> you talk about planting the seed. I'm available for what it's worth, Sean. Just put their paid assistant. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think Max is still in the job. I don't want to sell Stu short because I like Max Stewart quite a bit. Anyways, that's the Michigan men's head coaching job. Congratulations to Sean, who. Last anecdote again, wouldn't be doing this without. I've appreciated his support, his love. Not going to meet a nicer guy. 
Um, excited to see where he takes the program moving forward. That's news item number one. 12 minutes is pretty efficient for that, Jay. It could have been worse. I'm just saying. Um, it, could be, it could have been its own special edition. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Um, all right. Part two, I want to give you the reins because I saw you tweet about it. And no one – again, you're the beat reporter on the ground. AM, how many matches – over the years, have they been shipped to Baylor? Have they been shipped wherever because they don't have an indoor facility? Well, no longer AM announcing the construction of a new indoor facility. Great for fans. Great for the program. Great for the broadcast schedule, Jay. Your reaction? Yeah, it's fantastic news. This is an AM program that is the only school in the SEC without an indoor facility. And in spite of that, we've seen the success that over the last two years, their women's team has had, their men's team for, let's say, a little bit longer duration. But, you know, you mentioned it, they've had to, you know, get chipped off other places. And last year, they only lost matches indoors. I remember earlier this season, they tweeted out some stat that they'd won like 48, 49, maybe 50 matches in a row outdoors. Very much an outdoors team. Don't get any practice indoors. So this is great news. The facility will be built in 24 months. So expect it 24 months to the day, it sounds like, and will be built about three miles from their outdoor facility so not too far uh within the the city of Bryan there so really looking forward to this and it's always just great to see when schools are investing in college tennis uh it this is a very long time coming this should have happened a very long time ago one for a school with as much money as Texas A&M and for a program both the men's and women's that have been as successful as they have been over the years so I'm glad to see this finally happen I don't think I've ever heard someone refer to Texas A&M as Bryan and not College Station. That's why I giggled for what it's worth. Because it's in the city of Bryan, this well, facility. I'm, I'm not, I know. I'm just, I'm <laughs> saying like, I just like, I was, it just threw me off. I was like, huh? And then I realized you were talking about, no, it's in a city three miles adjacent. Yes. I, well, yeah. Someone didn't read the city plans that uh, approved this six court indoor facility. Let me tell you, in a past life, I had to sit through every city town meeting uh, town meeting in a certain city, and I vowed never to do it again. So that's why I didn't read through the city commission planning. But yeah, it's massive. And yes, the past two years, the AM women have been particularly excellent, but they made a t- uh, final in the NCAAs back in 2013, obviously, yep. when Howard Joffe was the head coach. And that through line from Joffe to Weaver. They're, it's not quite blue blood, but they're in the conversation for next endorsee into the blue blood club, and they have been very good now for a long stretch. It's a program worthy of an indoor facility. It's great to see the school investing in it, recognizing that, and building the damn thing. So, yeah, here's to that. Here's to more schools doing the same. College tennis is a better place when schools invest in their tennis programs, and you're always going to get a shout-out on this show when you do. That said... That's the latest news. I snuck in the Chris Eaton thing. So, again, there are still some assistant openings. We'll fill in the gaps there as the summer goes along. But, look, there are a lot of results each and every week that happen with play- from players with college tennis ties on the Pro Tour. So that's where I want to move next. I want to start uh, – that's a hard transition. I want to start on the ATP side, though, in Atlanta, Jay, because that was college tennis central over the course of the past weekend. And more broadly, I sent out this tweet, and not to repeat myself here, but it just does feel like college to the pros is gaining mainstream acceptance. And it helps that our guy, Parson Amati, now does a lot of social media for Tennis Channel, and every tweet he sends out displays a a player's college ties if those ties exist. And again, Parsa is younger than both of us. He's the godfather of college tennis coverage. It's just a fact. We None of us would be where we are today if he hadn't been doing what he's been doing now for nearly a decade. Um, but, I mean, half the quarterfinals in Atlanta were players with college ties. And it's how cat, you know, again, I don't want to talk about Chris Eubanks because he's made enough quarterfinals and we've talked about him enough of late. But the fact that he's now top 30, I saw Chris Eubanks in the live ranking at 29 and I paused. I was like, that can't be right. And I was like, no, 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 it's right. <laughs> he's a Wimbledon quarterfinalist and he has a title to his name. Um, you know, I, I, we don't even have to talk about that. As good as J.J. Wolf has been in consolidating his top 50 spot, playing 500 tennis a little bit better over the past year of consecutive ATP results. Again, status quo 
because we have so much to cover, not going to make the list, but there's your uh, there's your perfunctory shout out. Did I use that word correctly, Jay? That one you did. Yes, let's go. I died there. I had a word issue before the podcast started. So uh, perfunctory. There's your word of the day. No, the man of the hour. I'm missing one. Oh, there are two men of the hour. Dom Kopfer, who was in the top 100, fell out, but through challenger success, he's made four finals, won one challenger title. Now this quarterfinal appearance here in Atlanta. He's back in the top 100. And then Alex Vukic, who at 27 years old, another guy who's done it the hard way. Bunch of different challenger success. And honestly, Kopfer's challenger stats might actually be Vukic's, and I'm confusing them in my head. But look... I did my rant on the 2015 to 18 Illinois teams already. Um, How prescient was that? Very yeah, prescient of us. I mean, every so often I do things and I'm like, do I still got it? Uh, because sometimes I worry, Jay. Uh, but then other times I feel a little bit more confident. I watched those Vukic teams. Like I, when he was at five as a freshman, why was that Illinois team elite? Because they had him at five as a freshman and his serve, his forehand have been this for a decade the improved physicality, the improved discipline on the backhand return in particular. Vuki makes his first ATP final of his career. He's now inside the top 70 for the first time in his career. Again, it took him five years of pro tennis to get to this point. But here he is. And it's just, you know, every week to go full circle, it's Vukic, it's Hanfman, it's Navarro, it's Stearns, it's Shelton, it's... A little bit more men's dominant than women's, but still, it's someone new every week right now, Jay. Is college tennis to the pros becoming mainstream? Well, that would imply we've been hipsters, and I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready for that label, but when I saw Jay, your tweet— that hold on. It's your birthday. I have a stark revelation for you. We are hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it, it does feel right, like— it's not, and it's not just like we've had Kevin Anderson, we've had John Isner over the last few few decades. Of course, we've had you know John McEnroe. We can go on and on, but it does just feel that there's more and more players who are having career high success who have college ties who are breaking on right. Whether that is Eubanks making the Wimbledon quarterfinals, Vukic making his first ATP final, you know. Did you know Alex Mickelson might go to Georgia? Like, there's always <laughs> something happening in the. Mm-hmm. pro tennis zeitgeist that has a tie to college tennis and that hasn't always been the case uh and so that's super exciting and it's always exciting to talk about these players back when they were in college and as you start to see these players right now we're seeing it more on the men's side who start to break through in their mid-20s maybe even late 20s you do start to think about how much college tennis benefited those players how many players who are of similar age to them who because of having four additional years on tour or three additional years because they went straight out of kind of their version of high school, you know, didn't end up keeping with it for those additional years or did suffer additional injuries. Um, you know, so it's, it's great to see the, the momentum. It's great to see, you know, Georgia tech having a watch party for Chris Eubanks, uh, at Wimbledon, you know, it's awesome to see. And it's, you know, if this means going mainstream by all means, it will be good for the quote program. Yeah, 14 guys right now in the ATP Top 100 with college tennis ties. And just to go through them quickly and what they've accomplished. Because it's not just like, you know, again, it's not as though they've racked up six challenger titles and a few quarterfinals to get there. Cam Norrie's an Indian Wells champion. You know, Sarundalo's made a semifinal in Miami and has won titles. Eubanks has won a title. Shelton made quarters of the Aussie. You know, Wolf made a final in Florence in round of 16 in Australia this year. Hanfman, quarterfinals Madrid. Mackey's Mackey. He's been a top 100 guy now for a couple of years. Vukic finals in Atlanta. Rinder Kinesh just won a challenger this past week, and that's not notable for him because he's been top 75 now for 18-plus months. But it's just for a guy who has struggled of late, he gets back on the right track. Again, Marcos Giron. He has two fake hips. He's been top 100 for 24 months. Nakashima, Borges, Kofer, Cressy's won a title. Like, all these top 14 guys have done significant things. It's not just, again, these perfunctory moments, to make that the word of the pod. No, it's it's significant. It just it legitimizes the pathway that much further. 
it mainstreams it. You know, every commentator now is going to be the first to be like, well, don't forget about their college ties. And of course, all of us, and this is how you know you're a hipster, Jay, because you get angry when they bring those up. And you're like, yeah, of course we know that. All of us are college ties. You know, again, or at least I get angry. That's my hipster tie. Um, I have the total opposite reaction. I'm like, yes, you, you know, talk about their silly little mascot or whatever you want to talk about with their college tennis ties, (laughs) because ultimately all this does is highlight the platform and the product of college tennis it will draw more attention to juniors who are looking at players from their respective federation who have gone the college route and are still having success it will change the mindset of those federations to maybe be okay with their players going to college and not discarding them so the more people want to talk about this the better you're right but it just makes me angry because I'm like, there's actually this rich history of tennis you could be talking about. Like, Hoffman clinched indoors and the four-peat his freshman year. That's what you should be talking about, not, oh, the USC Trojans, known for the Trojan. Do you know Keyshawn Johnson went there? It's like, yes, I know that. But also, let me talk to you about the four-peat team. And, you know, again, Mitchell Frank beating D-Win in the final. Like, that's what, that's what gets me going. Um, by the way, this is how you're a hipster. Was Mallory Burdett ever better than Nicole Gibbs? I mean, you could make an argument, you know, for the 2012 when. <sighs> okay. I don't even need an answer that you took that question seriously. You're a hipster, my friend. Like, come on. Only the hipsters have the strong takes on that. I mean, there's a reason Mallory didn't turn pro, right? Yeah, you know, fair. when she made the finals of and won the doubles with Nicole and. You know, she definitely was beating her in practice. Did I just open up an old wound? No. Okay. It's a wound. Yeah, wound's the wrong word, but like an old patch of dialogue. Like, was that a debate you were having in your head 10 years ago? (laughs) No, I mean, ultimately, I think, (laughs) I mean, I can chat about, I mean, ultimately, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, Nicole just frustrated the hell out of Mallory, right? If like anyone was just like, no, I know exactly how to play you. This is, um, you know, yeah. Yeah. They had but, battles. I remember their NCAA final. Like that's one of the yeah. ones. Yeah. That's memorable. Anyway, yeah. that's the walk down memory lane with Jay and I last week was Illinois. This week we I had to sneak in some Stanford women. Do you have, what's your go-to team? I've, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Well, because you know, my go-to is 13 to 17 Virginia. Honestly, 09 to 17 Virginia. Like, DeVarman to the 17, three-peat. I think that's, like, that's my team. Like, when I think of Alex Gruskin, college tennis fan, the part of me that I've buried, that's what I've buried. Where? What's your, like, these are my teams? Or this is my team? Um... I don't. I mean, I don't want to date myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 05 but, Illinois. No, I mean it. It it goes back that far. It goes like mm. Amber Luce. Oh yes, like the, yes. It was like the awakening years. Um, you know, like Teresa Logar at Stanford okay. was what like two thousand early. Yeah, two thousand. You know, Taryn as a Stanford player, not as the Michigan assistant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like when you're well versed in. Aaron Burdett, as well as like Mallory Burdett, you know, you go uh, pretty deep. How old did you turn this? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah, no, um, yeah. Anyways, that's your walked out history lane. I promised under 45 minutes, so we're going to rapid fire through the rest of these challenger ATP results pretty quickly uh, because there weren't that many particularly notable other than Vukic and again the broader and Kofor and the broader trend that we just discussed in Hamburg Hanfman went the furthest round of 16 which again is nothing for him of late but like round of 16 out of 500 ain't nothing to blink at uh, really nothing to enjoy from Umag. I mentioned at the challenger level, Rinder Kanesh winning the title in Switzerland needed that to really get things back going, keep himself in the top 100. The other big one, Matja Pekotic, who's just had the most fascinating career, the former Princeton standout. We all remember the Pekotic fall, right? I remember it fondly. It's, again, we're, we're dating ourselves here. Um, he's just been on and off finance to tennis. It's the life. It's Nick Ruskin's dream, as I like to call it, also a lefty, um, slightly less athletic. 
He knock, gets knocked out in the final four and four. You look for Pakotic currently sitting 435 in the singles rankings. But that's a nice, what, he, he's made 20000 this year in tennis. Considering it's the side hustle, not bad. Well, he's lost more than that getting to the <laughs> yeah, tournaments. That's probably but. true. It's fair. Um, still, I, I, I would say those are your most notable uh, challenger results of the week. Now, you did have some guys, Alafi Ayeni and Yaki Montez, who got the opportunity to play challenger main draws this week, knocked out round one. Any further thoughts on the ATP challenger level stuff? You ready to go to the WTA side? Yeah, we can go to the WTA. All right, let's rock and roll then to the WTA side of things. Again, highest level results start for sure with Lady Di Schnei. Diana Schneider, who makes her first tour level semifinal. You like that one? You smiled. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard. Have I heard that one before? No, that's, you know that's what? That's a new one. I was on the call. Cook it up on the broadcast. T2 this week. I was like, I'm whipping out Lady Di Schneider. What are you thinking? Shout out to Brett Connors, who may be the only person who gets me quite like Westhoff does. And Haston in the booth goes, yeah, dude, that's pretty good. I was like, all yeah, right, I'm going good. with it. Thank yeah. you. Lady Di Schneider. By the way. Coach Earnshaw, if you approve and you're listening, let me know because otherwise I'll scrap it immediately. Um, first semifinal of her career, and has you know again she missed five months of tennis. She's still top 186 right now in the live rankings. New career high, 19 years old. It was interesting. I thought she was going to give Nomonoha Akugwe the business because I just didn't think Akugwe had the weapons to hurt her. Now, again. First semifinal, not taking anything away from that performance. It's a great place to be. It's 86. Like, again, five top 100 women's players right now. Sharif, who's in the top 35. We don't talk enough about Meyer Sharif because, like, all she does is win 125Ks, and it's kind of status quo. But if you win enough of them, you're top 50 in the freaking world. It's 125 is the challenger equivalent on the women's side. Like, Sharif just wins. And, you know, she's the top-ranked. Uh, player in the t- uh, top 100 of the WTA rankings with collegiate ties. You have her, you have Collins, Stearns, Navarro, Lady Die. I mean, I, again, it's a little thinner. Obviously, Jennifer Brady working her way back from injury still. That said, Schneider, Navarro, Stearns are all under the age of 23. Like, we're going to have them for a while is the cool part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I actually don't think we talked about Diana Schneider announced that she is, in fact, going pro. That might have happened after we. Yeah. So the the WTA released a a really great article with her that came out and she was super complimentary of the NC State coaches, what that did for her confidence, uh, how they have helped her game and ultimately how college tennis helped her become a better tennis player. And now she's off in the pros. So looking forward to her career obviously she had a career before coming to college she's continuing that now um but a great result for her her first wta semifinal yeah again and it just feels like from here she'll continue to build i will say it was on clay which those of you who know the schneider story that's where the majority of her pro success has come that's why that college time was so valuable to get to play hardcore tennis indoor Mm -hmm. hardcore tennis as well uh it's gonna be fascinating what she does scheduling wise with her summer and obviously we'll have further updates for you as we progress that's your really only big tour level result uh from a player with college ties at least in singles against schneider through to the semifinals in hamburg i think navarro won a match in lausanne which again for now means nothing big picture She's top 60 in the world, folks. It's just not a fluke. Those are your big tour-level results. I don't think I missed anything, Jay. Um, uh, Yeah, he's giving me a face as if to say, don't ask me. It's my birthday. Um, So that's where we'll leave things at the tour-level stuff. We do have to stay on the women's side as we transition to the ITF because – Look, 60K, it's not quite a challenger, but it's more significant than your typical futures event from a vernacular standpoint. Well, know- it's more than some challengers, right? We now have challengers that, that are at 50. 50. This yeah. is a good point. So then it is a challenger. And in that sense, Yulia Startup Seva wins the biggest event of her career, winning the 60K title. She gets a three-set win over Brangle in the semis, a win over Wang Yafan in the finals. Now, shout out to Mary Stoyana, who's had a pretty darn good summer. She makes the semifinals of this event, and anyone who watched the Texas A&M All-American lose less than three matches during the dual match season playing the top spot, you knew this level was in her, but 
Startup Seva. I mean, are we going to be talking about that 2022 Old Dominion team, Jay, and saying they underperformed with who <laughs> they had at Assassin's Sky and Startup Seva at the top? Um, that was a joke, by the way. Uh, don't get mad at me. Uh, I mean, Yulia's awesome. That's an incredible result. Yeah, well, so this is her second 60K title, her yeah. third uh, title of the year. What's phenomenal about her up to just outside the top 200 in the WTA rankings now is she didn't immediately go on tour right after graduating ODU in 2022. She didn't play her first pro event until the last day of January this year. She has made this rise in six months. Yeah. And if you look at the results, I mean, she's won two 60K. She just made the 60K final in Lexington. Um, she's had tremendous results and she's on an absolute tear. And she's not even doing this in doubles right now, which is what honestly we knew her more for um, at Old Dominion. She ranked, you know, top, which I think they were number one. They were definitely number two. Uh, they think they ascended to the number one ranking, but uh, just phenomenal summer for her phenomenal start to the year yeah and on the double side of the 60k which i did look at and i think this might be our only doubles result i apologize mostly because carolina nation scares me mckenna jones jamie Loeb make the final they lose to the duo of ashley Leahy, former pepperdine standout and sophie chang i have a confession for you jay you ready to hear it hi mckenna jones 2021 ncaa doubles champion correct let the record show her and elizabeth scani win the title yes i thought they were awful like, I just didn't understand how they did it. And again, that's what made the run such a delight because it was like, how are you two winning this? Like, again, it's it's the odd couple on a doubles court in terms of what they do differently and how they see it. And maybe that is why it worked so well. Do you know McKenna Jones is 111 in the world in doubles? And just like, I was wrong. I'm taking the L. It's a public admission L. I apologize to you, McKenna. I think I said some version of this to them when we interviewed them after their title, where it was like, how did this happen? Um, but she's just the real freaking deal. Like She is an excellent doubles player, and there's something to just making the right play and the consistency she's shown. 111 in the world. It just goes to show you college tennis, double success, translated to the pros. It's real. That's my confession, Jay. That that's all I got for you. I, I just I still can't believe they won in twenty twenty one and now she's one ten in the world. So maybe I can. Yeah, I mean she has certainly I, I didn't anticipate this uh pro career for her. I mean, she was a top five player in the country and then started to trail off because of injuries towards the twilight of her career, coming back for her fifth year in that twenty twenty one season. But she has amazing found you know fundamentals she got an incredible lob which helps in doubles as well uh but she has not only had success on the singles court but also she and jamie Loeb have played a lot of doubles together and yeah i mean they play a lot of doubles in college tennis we don't eight, talk about that enough eight title eight titles for jamie Loeb this season uh for low uh eight titles for mckenna jones this season excuse me five titles with Loeb. jamie Loeb, by the way up to 119 in the doubles rankings was at a career high 117 earlier in the year that's what happens when you win five titles and now make another final together yeah they're making a push it's very fun to see um carolina generations man it, it spreads out these college tennis ties last forever so that's a fun one all right you ready for the rapid fire no, because I want to stay on Dallas for uh, Dallas okay. for a minute. You Please. mentioned Mary Mary Stoyana making the semifinals there. There is probably room for one to two qualifying wild cards for collegians in this cycle. Now, no women got her qualifying wild card to the U.S. Open last year, but of the players who are on the you know collegiate summer team, there's probably room based on. You know, who else could get a qualifying wild card? Mary Stoyana wasn't in that race, given her lackluster NCAA performance. Now, with this semifinal at the 60K, depending on what she does, you know, Crawley made the finals of the 25K. I think she's in the clubhouse right now um, on on getting a qualifying wild card for the U.S. Open, depending on what she can do over the next few weeks. What about the wild card challenge? Does this event count towards that? The USTA, you know, again, I, I think it must. Well, it it's in it was indoors though. I don't know if you know Ooh, in the same question. way they discount grass. I don't know if they also discount indoors, but um, yeah, no, she has to be in the running. That's a very good call by you. I appreciate that. And I also 
I said rapid fire. I'm not going to blitz over this. Our next result, I'm moving away from Dallas. How about Angela Okotoye in Monastir, Jay? I saw you tweet about that earlier. Let our listeners know what she accomplished with this win. Well, she's the second Kenyan player ever to win a pro singles title, male or female, the lot and the first since 1994. So, you know, we've seen what African tennis uh you know you mentioned Maya Sharif of Egypt you know we've seen Ans Jabur in the in the Middle East uh you know now to have the second Kenyan player win a pro singles title I mean what a hi- historic moment for her her family her country you know Kenyan tennis uh just an incredible accomplishment and rising sophomore at Auburn right we have this sort of history within collegiate tennis and it's awesome to see if I told you right now, Auburn preseason six to eight range, does that feel about right? Too high, too low. Oof. Six I would to go, ten. Yeah, I'd be. I'd say yes. I'm yeah. feeling more like eight to nine to yeah. ten. Yeah, seven to nine might be the best range. All yeah. I'm saying is, again, Ansari's back. Arsenal's back. Ovunk's healthy. Okatoye gets a win, and she wasn't even the best freshman probably on the team last year because yeah. DJ Bennett was exceptional, yep. and it's just Flack is back. Everyone's back. Um, we talk about ourselves feeling smart. I feel like that was a team I was early on, Jay. Uh, <laughs> again, just throwing it out there. Oh, I saw it. In in your defense, you didn't know about the Ovunk injury. So this is true. This couldn't is, have seen that coming. Yeah. She got injured again? No, I mean, she was out this no, last past year. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Whew. I was like, oh, no. Um, I was like, not again. Um, yeah. Okay. So, again, Okatoye, to your point, so much credit. A shout out to her. That was really I, – I, oh, that's a lie. I got one more big one for us before we truly rapid fire. How about Tassipor Naklo winning the 15K title this past week? I believe we saw Ayumi Miyamoto make a semifinal at that same event as well uh, in Japan. Excuse me. I, again, Tassipor Naklo, you play at the top of the college tennis world. These sorts of 15K titles are in your in your realm, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of them, right? A lot of opportunities to play there. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma's uh, Kapura won another 25K title as well. She's won four in like the past five weeks. Um, she's now into the top 300. So a uh, great result for her. We've chatted about her before here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're littered throughout the world. No, yeah, absolutely. Again, the other ones I have, Villermoller, Rivkin making semifinals, I believe, in Denmark. That was really it uh, for the week on the women's side. You know, again, there may have been some quarterfinals, and certainly I'm sure we missed some doubles results, but that's my, that's your update there on the men's side. And we're going to rapid fire through this quickly because I got to make my 45-minute deadline. We're not going to compromise anything. Don't worry. Here are the title winners I have for the week. Pedro Rodinas wins the title, his first pro title, I believe, in Spain. You also had a great week for Quinn Van de Castile of Oregon, who has been sensational this summer. Finally gets that feather in the cap. He gets his uh, first tour-level title this past week in Edwardsville. Juan Carlos Aguilar in a final in Pittsburgh. That's uh, he, Banerjee, and Felix Corwin all in the semifinals. Plenty of college guys in uh, throughout the course of the draw as well. I would say those are my three highlights, Jay. Take those wherever you want to go. Well, I think certainly Rodinus and you know, Van de Castile are the highlights, both winning their first 25Ks and really going to be players to watch in both their respective conferences, you know, with Arthur Ferry potentially not coming back at Stanford, you know, Stefan Dostanich. He could he could still use his fifth year, but you know, Van de Castile really having a, a breakout summer as well as Rodinus, we all knew what he was capable of in his rookie season at Duke, but you know, that Duke team is going to be very good next year. So you know, he's had a lot of success there. I will say he and Garrett Johns have won a doubles title together. Mm-hmm. Garrett Johns is playing a non-sanctioned event on a beach. I don't know if you've seen these pictures. Beach tennis? It, it is beach tennis. I so called like, beach tennis for the ITF, baby. I'm familiar with the game. Okay, well, let our listeners know about the game because I was not aware of beach tennis until I saw this on Instagram. This is it, it, this is phenomenal. It's like if pickleball required athleticism. That's how I would describe beach tennis. The diving, the, the overheads, the hands, the soft touch. 
it is incredible. Like I was watching, it's the best possible version of doubles. Just like the quick reactions, the reflexes, a little less physical. But then it is physical because it's on a beach and it's just like your legs. It's it's fun. Yeah, you see, you're playing in wet sand. Yeah, it's and th- there's like a stadium, and the tide comes in, and then the tide comes out. They paint the lines on the court. They paint all of the you know uh, the trappings of the court, and then you play on this wet sand <laughs> it's it's an incredible event it's funky it is fun um yeah anyways i had to throw that out there I, that caught my attention as well not a pro event but something that's happening in the world of of tennis and we have a college tennis representative enjoying himself on the, Ab- the sand absolutely just the final vanda castile's 25 and 5 this year on the pro tour pretty pretty good for a guy maybe he's on ncaa watch the only other name i'd throw at you Edward Winter is going to be really good as a freshman next year at Pepperdine. Top 599 in the world, made another quarter this week. He's 21 and 17, just played a ton of pro matches this summer. 599 in the world. And again, coming in as a freshman, 18-year-old to Pepperdine. Just a name to keep an eye on. I'm just saying, moving forward, Jay. But that's really, those are my ITF looks. Anything to add or you want to look at the week ahead? Yeah, we can do the week ahead. I think didn't Winter beat Daniel DeJong at one of the SoCal Pro Series events? That sounds familiar. Was playing at the top of the lineup for Pepperdine. I mean, Winter could come in and play number one for Pepperdine. Yeah, again, he's the real deal. You don't get to top 600 in the world in any other way. Again, that said, that's your look at the past week. Now, week ahead, there's a lot of action. You have five tour level events. And of course, given the fact that we are back in the United States, uh, certainly Atlanta. Los, actually, Los Cabos is the place to be because like Mansuri, Hichikata, all these guys with college tennis ties went down and played co- qualifying there. And given the draw cutoff, a lot of them got into the main draw. So I would say all your tour level events, there are things to look for. I know you like J.J. Wolf's prospects in D.C. this week, Jay. I saw the tweet. Any particular notes for the week ahead, things to keep an eye on? Well, no, you're right about the... Um the the ATP and WTA I mean combined event there in DC. I just saw Peyton Stearns gets in as a lucky loser, so she'll be playing there. You know, on the, the the challenger circuit, the big one this week on the men's and women's side is in Lexington in the US mm-hmm. this week. So obviously lots of college players there. I think those are the big ones to to keep an eye on. I did really like that DC gave Alana Smith from NC State a wild card. She's from Maryland, so that's her hometown WTA event. She lost in qualifying, but I thought a good showing there for her. Um, yeah, I think those are the main the main events this week. Full circle. Oh, oh go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it was just speaking of DC, they honor Trent Healy, who of course just. Helped coach his way to a national championship, played his final pro match of his career. They did a ceremony for him, D.C. area native, obviously UVA All-American, now national champion winning coach for the program. Is again, one of the OGs in my fandom, so it's great to see Trett honored in a way he is very well deserved. To, again, deservedly honored. Um, final words, though, go to you, the birthday man, John J. Parsons. Any final thoughts on this summer edition of The Deciding Point? Well, just in terms of week ahead, you know, we have Kalamazoo and hard courts mm-hmm. kicking off. I'm um, glad you brought that up. Thank you. I, I forgot to go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I think we're now seeing more players who play a season in college tennis and are still eligible to compete at these events. So Nishash Basavaretti is the number two seed, just finished his freshman year at Stanford. You also have players like Darius Met- Smetanikoff of Texas A&M, who's playing hard courts. Uh, Reese Brantmeyer of North Carolina, who's playing hard courts for the for the women out in San Diego. So a lot of, of course, you have the players that are rising freshmen entering into college, but you also have some you know current college students playing in these events, which is always exciting to see how they do against junior competition when there's a little bit more pressure when you come in having played a season of college tennis. Brantmeyer, Tien, yeah, all eyes are going to be on them, certainly in San Diego, Kalamazoo, respectively. All the coaches will be there. And Jay, you want to hear the best part? San Diego is going to be on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll be broadcasting the 18s first ball to last starting Sunday. We'll miss the opening rounds of the 16s, which starts a little bit before. But again, we're going Sunday to Sunday with our coverage. I'm going to be on the ground in San Diego. So any <laughs> criticisms you may have, coaches tuning in, 
feel free to lobby them at me there or feel free to shower me with compliments. I never hate that either. Um, yeah, we're, we're really excited for it here at Cracked Rackets because it's the premier junior event on the calendar. I think our dream is to be able to be the home for the USTA Boys, Girls, 16s, 18s National Championships and be able to show a joint broadcast of that in the future. We're not there yet, but to have the Billie Jean King event, it's a good first step. We're excited for it. We hope you'll tune in. Again, that coverage starts next Sunday, so full week uh, from today. And by the way, it might make doing next week's pod a little bit tough. I'm glad. See, it's great you brought that up because I wouldn't have remembered that otherwise. Jay, you might have to steer the ship solo next week. Do a little 20 minutes. What would a solo summer edition, how long do you think that show would be for you? Have you, you've done a solo pod for no adders. You know, Ethan's always been there. I have done a few solo yeah, pods. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was on the ground at the NCAA doing solo pods, recapping oh, yeah. the event there. <laughs> uh, I might've been a little busy. I thought yeah. Ethan was with you, though. I had to drag him on. Uh, <laughs> he was busy with, you know, his doing his, his thing, his thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've done solo pods. Okay. Um, How I long think would a solo be? This would probably be 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, then you can cut the 30 minutes of fat next week and <laughs> record on solo. Um, I, would, I would say, you know, the fat brings the flavor. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's. I've never been complimented in such a kind way. I always sit, like to joke around in tennis that, especially sometimes in tennis because we're all competitive, you know, no one gives a straightforward compliment. But I say, look, in tennis, it should be a backhanded compliment because that's what we do in this sport. And so, yeah, again, cut the fat, you lose some flavor. Anyways, with all of that said, happy birthday to you, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. As always, shout out to you. Shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an any job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Hopefully, we'll be back next week, but in the off chance we are for, uh, for now, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you hopefully all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.